In this episode, Nick Flynn talks about donuts, the the Sorosaurus Rex, and how making your students perform your poetry for you as you write it is the only way to pin award-winning, money-making poetry. No one says anything about Hamlet in this episode. Nick also does not say the podcast is a shit show, or maybe he does, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't mean it, and there is absolutely no cussing in this episode. Also, Jess goes on a bee bender. Yeah, he's a good writer. They say he writes essays. Then he'd also like, and I also write dog roll. And I'm just gonna like, we're just gonna take up some real estate in your fucking good magazine with a fucking dog roll that makes everyone hate poetry. Like, I don't see the point of that. Like, we go from a podcast where we're talking about poetry saving the world to this. Yeah, no, yeah. less less poems, less less poems. But you know that that Billy Collins poem where he takes two lines of a really bad student poem and makes a really good like I think one of his best poems I can't think of what it's called wow. um, it sounds like Billy Collins so I don't know it. I can't think of it uh, we're gonna read the introduction oh what I didn't mean <laughs> <laughs> that's my job was that recorded Jessica, or something? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I didn't know that it was going to speak the poem. It's tough, it's tough to put the glass flowers on like on t-shirts or caps or stuff because they just look like flowers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. people just think you have like a flower in your shirt. And like, no, it's a glass flower. <laughs> I'm Kate Martin Williams. I'm Jessica Cole. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers for writers. Today's guest, Nick Flynn, is the author of Another Bullshit Night in Suck City, two more memoirs, several books of poetry, a play, and for all you listeners who are also teachers, a handbook dedicated to the radical act of endearing poetry to middle schoolers. Flynn's latest memoir, Reenactments, is about the making of a film based on his first memoir about his father's long decline into alcoholism and subsequent wandering and his mother's suicide. In it, Flynn prods, interrogates, and toys with the line between what is real and what is make-believe. If you've ever read Flynn's memoir or his poetry, you'll recognize he has this jarring way of dropping a parenthetical into a sentence, a line that disrupts and then permeates the feeling the sentence intends to leave you with, the way a droplet of dye spreads and then changes the water around it, like he does here. When I return to that scene now, reluctantly ambushed, my experience is not one of catharsis, but of a nearly unbearable resurgence of chaos and pain. Likewise, within the global structure of the narrative itself, whole chapters sometimes interrupt trains of thoughts, themes that have been carefully constructed in the previous chapters, making the experience of reading the whole book just like reading those interrupting parenthetical modifiers inside a sentence. He asks you to be comfortable with both and, not either or. That several realities, like a person's myriad feelings in a moment, can all be true at the same time. That just as his daughter's flipping on and off of the light in her crib mimicked a firefly, for her parents who are watching their child experiment and be in the world as new, for you the reader it calls to mind the moment you saw a firefly for the first time. A moment you may have forgotten. 
Flynn's work constantly gives I us hesitate. with these surprises. Um, that's beautiful. Some this harrowing, is, is some glancing right? off of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, you guys Nick are just like doing it in your, in, your, in your room here. Yeah. In a house in somewhere in Houston. Yeah. That you drove me to. <laughs> but why was so I, why did you have to blindfold me to get me here? It's a bad like that's what, I was, what was that about? You were supposed to tell people about that. <laughs> Forgot the book over here. It's impressive though. Like I'm, I'm so like I, I want to do a podcast too, but I, I have no idea how or what I would do it about. So I'm very you impressed. Need, you with need to hire Fu, except that you can't have him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to him. I'll talk to him after. Yeah. yeah. Oh, John. That's when the blindfold goes we're back in on. We're in Fu's house right now, which is he, he does seem to be the to have it more the together than anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I have that on record. <laughs> Made the record yeah. like so. I'm gonna be. And I will talk. Yeah. And I will talk yeah. after, or maybe even if, if this doesn't go well. <laughs> Are you looking at the twenty right now? <laughs> yeah. We'll just edit all this out, right? Yeah. 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 This, yeah. Is, None this of is just this blank tape. This is just, yeah. No. You'll see. Who does the editing? <laughs> Could, do you mind reading us an excerpt? Sure. Um, are you chosen for me? I did. If okay. You don't. Which one? Which? Uh, Two forty-one. Yeah. Okay. So this is from the reenactments. Do you want to set it up? Set uh, yeah, I should set it up a little. Bit. I mean, it's, uh, I'm seeing it for the first time. I mean, I wrote it. But, um, <laughs> we blindfold you yeah. and make you read from things you so, have never read. Not read before. Okay. So this is this is from the reenactments, and it's near the end of the book, and it's uh, one of the panels in the book. I divide the book uh, structurally. I think the book's divided into three panels. One is making the film. You know. A, Called being, which ended up being called Being Flynn, based on another bullshit night in Sex City. Uh, you know, being on set while that film's being made. Another panel is sort of a study of uh, neuroscience and memory and, and what consciousness. And the third panel is about this thing called the Glass Flowers, which is an exhibit that I used to go to as a child uh, at Harvard. Drive up from my hometown, my mother would drive us up, and uh, so there's a whole we keep returning to these glass flowers in the book. Um, so this is a bit about that. So it starts with a date, 1870. The Wares hired the Blaschkas to create the glass flowers. Leopold, the father, teaches his son, Rudolf, what his father had taught him. Tact increases in every generation. My father spends his whole life writing a book, The Button Man, that to this day remains unpublished. I, the son, write a book, Another Bullshit Night in Suck City, which is, in part, a search for my father's unpublished manuscript. Focus Features hires Paul Weitz to create a film based on this, these books. For seven weeks, I go to set every day with a notebook, watch my life reenacted, take notes. When we began shooting, I was writing a book about the glass flowers, but then the film began to speak to the flowers. Both, it seems, are types of reenactments. I was also reading books on memory, on what it means to have a sense of self, how we don't really know what consciousness is made of, how we might never know. These ideas began to speak to the flowers and to the film, all of them reenactments, maybe everything is. Remember, no matter what your eyes may tell you, they are not real, they are made of glass. I began to see the structure of the project as a triptych, flower, film, memory, something that could be carried under the arm, unfolded anywhere to create an altar. Not one to pray before, but one that asks, what are you feeling right now? 
Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I haven't read that since I wrote it. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Whoever that guy Damn. was. And it's, it's funny because it said exactly what I said as a preface to it. So <laughs> my preface was completely unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> we, um, we... So you can cut the preface. Okay, you can cut it. Yeah. Cut it. Uh, Jess and I went to grad school together, which we told you in... Um, uh, t- t- Tennessee. Yes. T- yeah. t- 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 Tennessee. <laughs> uh, and we, uh, we went to school with another uh, novelist who um, kept having these run-ins with her sort of her novelist alter ego. So our friend was writing a book that used the periodic table of elements as chapter headings. Mm-hmm. And Lauren Groff was working on a similar project at uh-huh. the same time. And then they both went out for the same prize with competing short stories. And Lauren Groff obviously went on to wild success. And uh, and our friend did okay, but yeah, but yeah. couldn't compete. We all referred to Lauren Groff as her arch nemesis. Yeah. That's like when the two Capote movies come out the same year. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so Jessica wrote a book where half of it takes place in, was it 2000? And the protagonist is a guy. And the other half takes place... But Bush, the Bush kid. Yes, yes. Election. And the other half takes place World War II with a woman named Elizabeth who is a botanist and visits the glass flowers exhibit oh, at Harvard. Nice. And so, and she hadn't read reenactments and then we, we stumbled upon the similarity and then, then, I guess all I'm asking is, are you comfortable with being Jessica's arch nemesis now? <laughs> I don't think I've, I don't think the reenactors quite reached Groff levels, so I think we'll be okay. Uh, oh, good. Okay. Yeah, I think because I, think, I really, yeah. I really love what you wrote about them, but it's crazy. Yeah. I was like, wait, I no, I'm the. You know, they're mine. The yeah, yeah. The, the Vlaskas are mine. Yeah, right. I know. Yes. I know that happens. My, I know you feel like you're. Yeah. And my son also is like, I'm always like, look, honey, look how amazing this is, and when you describe. Your mom, or no, your mom wasn't really like pushing it so much the way I was. She was better at it. But you were like, could we go to the gorillas? And my son's always like, we, yeah, the flowers are nice, mommy. Can we go to the dinosaurs? So it's the same. It's the same. But we could we could just be part of a club, though. We don't have to be enemies. It's true. We could that's be part true. of a club, also, a small but, club. Yeah, that's you know? true. That's and do true. field trips to the glass flowers. Oh, it's so amazing. Yeah. It's so, it still blows me away. It's still... Yeah. It's still. It's, it's tough to put the glass flowers on like on t-shirts or caps or stuff because they look just look like flowers. That's, that's the <laughs> problem. Yeah. yeah. People just think you have like a flower in your shirt and you'd be like, no, it's a glass flower. <laughs> <laughs> My best friend also um, worked at the Mass Coalition for the Homeless and uh-huh. had a very important relationship with Pine Street back in the early 2000s so she is actually the person who first told me about another bullshit night in Sex City and I thought it was going to be back then one of her like non-fiction books about homelessness which I just couldn't I just couldn't read so yeah, I feel sure. bad and I did, want to apologize did, to her now because did, did, what you mean you didn't want to read my book you're saying I did I did read <laughs> should read it now but you but you I didn't, didn't then you didn't then yeah no, that's okay no I just made you being yeah. clear okay yeah right yeah, yeah. So that's cool that's cool no I I, I got I, I picked up Jim Shepard's last book the book of Aaron like uh like a year ago because I was going to his book party and I hadn't read the book 
And I felt like bad. And then when I got it, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, it's a Holocaust memoir. Oh, it's a Holocaust, a, a Holocaust <laughs> novel. And I was like, I, I don't want, you know, it was fall, like it was getting into like the dark season. And I was yeah. like, I don't want to read like, I can't go to And then I read, I, I read it because he's my friend. And then it turned out to be a masterpiece, like an utter masterpiece. It was so good. I'm not saying that about my book. No, no, no. <laughs> No, so you should really pick up my book yeah, yeah. it turns out to be a good time. Yeah, you're in for a treat yeah. <laughs> no I think it was the packaging if she was like it's this really gripping memoir that also has our, our worlds collide but it's really cool then I would have read it but it's, it's, I, it's, I, not, I, it's not a big sale like you know when, when <laughs> it took a long time for Hollywood to actually make a film of it which was right. not really surprising you know a film about a homeless street alcoholic that's racist right. and homophobic and sexist and unlikable like right. it, it, it's not a really easy sell yeah speaking of arch nemeses do you consider James Joyce an arch nemesis <laughs> or perhaps Beckett why why because they because why because Okay, they, so they put, because Joyce puts a play in his in Ulysses, and I have a play in mine, and yeah, yeah, and, stuff yeah like but that. but then does does Joyce consider Melville his arch enemy because Melville puts a play in his book? I mean, Joyce Probably. just sort of Joyce just sort of you know lifted all that stuff from Melville, and Melville lifted it from the Bible. Bible. The Bible is Melville's. Idea. And the Bible was written by Shakespeare. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Oh, Rosalie. Yeah. Right. Um, can you, no, can you actually I, say, can I just you... feel like another night has like a Ulysses-like feel to it. I, I always say like I've never really left grad school, unfortunately or fortunately. But I would like posit that it seems like you could read it as you know, one never ending waiting for Godot day, mm -hmm. um, like seeing your long lost father arrive at Pine Street Inn over and over. And then everything else is just sort of fragmented, yeah. um, heartbreaking flashback. I mean, you know, if anyone, you know, saw any, any, you know, choice in any of my work, I'd be <laughs> totally happy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be completely happy. Um, and, you know, Beckett is, uh, you know, he's sort of the guiding force for yeah. the three memoirs. Like the, each book, each memoir starts with an epigraph from Beckett. Right, just right. Cause, uh, right. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, it, it just he's sort of a, um, just a, a, what he does with language just, just continues to amaze me that I, I can't, I, I really still have no idea how he does it, which is, uh, you know, sometimes I read books like, like a writer and I read just sort of trying to sort of understand like the, what's happening in the book and I, I'm not really so interested in the story sometimes with, with Beckett I like just never understand it I just don't I, I still can't understand how mm -hmm. he does what he does so yeah I feel the same and then that the chapter same again mm -hmm. in another night it's so me uh, it's just like one of the best few pages I've ever read and I'm so curious did your agent or editor or publisher did you ever, ever have to defend that even not like the book is so straightforward in terms of narrative, but that's a real break. And um, yeah, I mean, was it was well, there any sort of fight I, for I that? Think I, I think that, you know they, they bought the book on forty pages. Norton bought the book on forty pages, oh. um, and and then I I got the money and I left. I just went. I, I moved out of the country. <laughs> I moved. I moved to Rome. <laughs> And I just didn't answer the phone for like two years. Like uh, they kept asking, like, well, "Where's the book?" Because I sort of said that I said, "Oh yeah, I can, this is just you know I have the whole book at home. It's all right behind that door." And then 
but it, what it had was a mess. It was a real disaster. And then finally, like your dad. Yeah, yeah. Finally, yeah. The beginning was like there was like forty coherent pages, and then the rest mm-hmm. was you know just incoherent. And yeah, it was it was terrifying because I thought like I am just like my father. Uh, and so I just you know wouldn't answer the phone or you know you know bad internet connection or something. And finally, they're like, you have to send us something. And I sent them this thing like this. It was much longer than what the book ended up being. It was just it was really a mess. Uh, and they were they I think their hearts really sank uh, when they read what I sent them because it was really a bit incoherent. Uh, it was there. Everything was there. So so the I mean like a chapter like Sam again was uh, I think the least of their problems. Um, <laughs> like, like that had actually some unity and coherence to it. They were just like like desperate to sort of like find that. Uh, okay. That, I, I mean, I like that chapter. That chapter was like one of my first um, uh, attempts at, at collaborative writing. I mean, it, it was written over the course of like the entire, you know, the book. I wrote it over like seven years. Um, and uh, it, I would read from that chapter readings like, you know, you, you bring work out, you sort of you trot work out to sort of see if it works because it's, it's very different sitting alone and yeah. then actually doing it out and reading it in public. So I, I read I read from that. I, I would read from that chapter. Uh, but it was much shorter and then people would come up to me and give me little pieces of paper with other drinking terms on them. Ah, oh, that's um, so cool. Because I never went, I never, I intentionally didn't Google anything. I didn't want to Google it or go, even go to a, uh, uh, what would, what, what book would tell you all the different terms? The, thesaurus. Uh, thesaurus, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I intentionally didn't go to a thesaurus. I, I, th- I knew it was thesaurus, but I just, I didn't want to say thesaurus just because I thought <laughs> What's another word yeah. for then I thought dinosaurs? Like, then I thought, <laughs> I thought like, wait a that's like a dinosaur. Wait a minute, what is that? Yeah, I was like, wait a that's not a thesaurus. That's, a, that's that thing with a tiny hand. It's like up, one floor up from the, from the glass flowers. <laughs> so I didn't, so intentionally, it, it had to be all like from like discussions with people. Like it had, to, like, um, which is like to, to mirror like being in a bar and talking to people. Like that was just a rule I had for it. Like I wouldn't, I, did, I just intentionally didn't go to any of those thesauruses or like, like dictionaries of slang terms or anything mm-hmm. like that. I just really wanted to get it from, uh, uh, from people. Um, oh, that's neat. And so it, it really, that was like the longest. It, I, I began at the beginning of the book and ended it at the end. It was, it, that was like a seven year project, that one piece. So. Jeez. Um, so then what's the, what's the, the rest of the editorial story? Oh, oh, well, she, <laughs> after their hearts sank, my, then my what editor, happened? My, my editor there, Jill Bielowski, who was, you know, she's worked on, on my three books. Uh, you know, we have, a, you know, a cool relationship. Uh, and uh, she's the one that bought the book that, you know, that, that was behind it and bought it. And uh, <laughs> when she got the pages, uh, after like 30 pages at the beginning, she wrote in the margin, like in desperation, like, I have no idea where I am. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, and I was really furious at her. Like, I don't know, like, I, I, you know, like often getting edit, editorial comments for me, it, it drives me into a rage. Like, and I just, it's best not to talk to anyone for a few days. So, cause I'll just say, I'll just say, like, forget it. You know, we're, <laughs> here's your money back <laughs> that I've already spent. <laughs> um, but, uh, because, you know, I said in the first page that we we're like in a homeless shelter or something. I'm like, well, we're still in a homeless shelter. Like, you know. We haven't left, and she's like, well, "I don't know that. Like, how do I know her story?" So I sort of realized something because I, you know, I I'd only written poetry before that. This is the first long thing I'd written or I wrote, and so I just didn't get this the idea of like having a balance between lyric energy and grounding energy, like having like mm-hmm. a grounding energy, you know, not to have it be expository. I mean, 
it's expository in some way, just so we know where we are in time and place. Um, you know, just you, you, you just look out the window and describe something. So you're just not all totally lyric and internal and, and, and you know, making sounds and, and, and grunting or whatever. Uh, but you actually... That's what, lyric, that's what lyricism is, grunting. That, that's the definition, yeah, of lyricism, of lyric poetry, yeah. Uh, the original definition, yeah. Before there were liars, they just had grunts. Uh, so, yeah, so, so I had to sort of learn to do that. I had to, like, write these... Uh, I had, to, I had to sort of write this narrative connective tissue, and it, which actually was a good process. It actually was a, you know, it was a good editorial thing. Her, her, like just in desperation, say, "What the fuck have I bought? <laughs> like, oh my god, we've made a horrible mistake." Uh, so uh, yeah, it made the book better. Yeah, I think you know, it, 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 it definitely didn't make it worse because it was the experience like too much like coming to poetry like it, it 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 becomes too much like eating cake like it's just too much lyric energy if it's pure lyric energy so it's like it's too rich and you really just sort of you need a space to breathe in the narrative you need a space to sort of breathe and, and, and know where you are and sort of settle down and just sort of have like a some calmness that's yeah so you don't want to have too much emotional intensity like even like my father being homeless or my mother's suicide like you don't you know you don't need to like go into it you know you have to modulate that you have to modulate the intensity of that um i think even just to be alive you do you know not even just as a as a book, but just, you know, to be alive. So. Yeah, the, um, the moment in the reenactments where you explain uh, Paul White's choice to um, cut scenes of, of Flynn as a child eating ice cream in the middle of the Julianne Moore scenes. Um, same same thing. Was that something you guys talked about it? Or oh, to have, have, have cut it in, not to cut it out. But to, Sorry, to yeah, cut, cut it in. in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, did they cut that? I thought I remember that scene. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I would have seen all the scenes, so I'm like, wow, I thought that made it to the final cut. But, um, yeah, the scenes, yeah, yeah, putting the yeah the ice cream scene, yeah, putting that in, and, that, and you know, a lot of those are his inventions. Like, there's I, there's nothing in the book about me eating ice cream with my mother. But I think it's something he probably picked up in your mm -hmm. style of writing, right? Well, in the style of writing, also, we became, we were still close friends, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in those seven years of, like, you know, going through three studios and, you know, like, like 30 drafts of the manuscript. And, you know, I hung out at his house and we, we, we became friends and, and, and we did other projects. I mean, I did, other, I did other books and he did other films and, you know, I'd go to his openings and he'd come to my book things. And um, so... We know we got to know each other, so he knew there was a certain rhythm that he sort of understood. We understood each other, which mm -hmm. was a nice collaboration. That's why I think the seven years was the right amount of time. It takes uh, seven years to know somebody. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, and that's it, what the Bible says. I, I figured I'd just throw that out there and see if no one questioned it. As we all know, as you all know, it takes seven years to know someone. Yes. I think we can all agree on that. Yes, really, really, that is sage wisdom. Or seven minutes. <laughs> One of them. I have I have my students uh, meditate for seven minutes um, before they write. It's a, it's the magic number of seven minutes. And I tell them it's because it takes seven minutes for the light from the sun to reach the earth. Uh, I have no idea if that's true or not. Well, it's, it's really beautiful. Somebody told me once. I just never looked it up. Like I, some, I heard that once, or sounds good, or I dreamed it no, once. No, it's like it's like almost nine, but you know. <laughs> Who's going to meditate for nine minutes? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, nine minutes for it to reach the earth, but if you're it's like six feet tall, it's seven minutes. Oh, 
that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm only 5'4", so it takes a little bit longer. Neil deGrasse Tyson is like riding yeah, in. He's cringing. Yeah. <laughs> people. Neil deGrasse Tyson is not going to listen to a podcast he's called a fucking Shakespeare. <laughs> called called fucking Shakespeare. No, no. no. <laughs> We have friends in high places. We are are able to make our own plans. <laughs> oh, look, look who's that coming in. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. While we're dropping names, can I drop the name of uh, Robert De Niro and talk about that moment? Sure. Yeah, I loved, uh, in, in again, in reenactments, um, you talk about... Uh, you, you had this clip on your phone of, of De Niro walking through the snow, and, uh, and um, I guess you were on set one day, and, and it was early on because it had snowed. It was, yeah, it wasn't even on set. It was just that it happened to snow because we weren't beginning filming. It was like two months before we began filming, and we just, you know, we'd had a lot of meetings and costume stuff, and we met in his office a lot. So we had, like, the costume all set to go, and then it just happened to snow, and... and uh, I think I, they just decided to do this guerrilla shooting thing. They just went out with a camera on the street and just had De Niro walking around in the snow just to get like, because it's, you know, snow costs money in a film to actually cover a city with snow. So, and we knew it was going to start shooting like in March or something, which this year it snowed a, it snowed a lot. A lot. But, a lot. Uh, it snowed a lot. I can it's still snowing now. <laughs> it's still snowing up north. No, but, today uh, is 43. I told you it's balmy. Like it's Caribbean. <laughs> But like yes, but like very, fairly recently there was snow falling. Sure. So, yeah. uh, but but that year there wasn't so much. So we had to like we were, it was really lucky we got some shots of him walking through a snowy city. And yeah. So then I would show I had this little clip of that I took shot on my iPhone. It was like the first day of shooting. I just shot this thing on my iPhone, uh, and it was just like a, like a homeless guy walking through the snow. But there was like it was in New York, so there was like dozens of people on the sidewalk. So you couldn't tell you couldn't see anything. I'd show it to people and and be like. You, you look at this clip like do you know who that is and they'd be like do I know who who is like what am I looking at and like it's just like it's just like a sidewalk in New York with people walking on it I'm like that's Robert De Niro like uh-huh like <laughs> sure it is yeah like right, right there you see he just walked by is that like the seven minutes it takes for the, the it was a seven minute clip too it was yeah. exactly how did you know wow. did you first believe anything that you say do, do they now <laughs> After this podcast, <laughs> uh, there is a serious question in the midst of all this. Oh, I yeah, can't okay. for the life of me remember what it is. No, um, uh, in the in the book, you have this vulnerable moment where you you're reflecting on your need or your sort of your um, my bottomless need <laughs> <laughs> to hang on to the clip and to show people the clip and how that you know what that means for for the act of memoir in general, right? Is it I was questioning this, um, whether it's uh, writing your story so that other people help, you know, can uh, come up with their own, you know, help them make sense of their own lives, or is it like, this is me, help me make sense of me, you know, that, or is it both? Um, yeah, suddenly, suddenly I got, got like, oh no, it's a serious question. Um, (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah, why was was I doing that? I think I wrote about probably in the book why I was doing it in some way, but I can't remember what I wrote. 
uh, I mean, a lot of times I, I write just to get things out of my head so that they, then I can just push them away so I don't have to think about them again. So I shouldn't be. Yeah, now you're like, now it's becoming like yeah. a therapy session. But, um, suddenly I felt like, like desperate and cornered and like, oh shit, yeah, this is all just a charade. Like, I'm only doing this to like draw like attention to my needy self. And, yeah, I don't know. Like, why one does this? Like, I mean, that's a big question. Like, why? Like, it actually is a, a, a bit of a crisis question, um, like why one does this, why one writes anything really, I guess, but writes particularly like what I write, sort of these memoir type things. Is Jessica losing it? <laughs> I don't know if she's having an existential crisis herself or this is, what. This is what passes for humor in Boston. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to have like a serious moment here, this is like cackling oh in the background. She felt sorry for me because I just made you question your whole existence. Oh, but she yeah. was starting with this, me because yeah. we're, you know. I understand. You know, it's Boston gradual, code. Yeah. Um, Boston. So, yeah, I mean, there's something about writing, the act of writing, that is a, it's a strange process. Like, it's like you do have control. Even though I write, I try to write in a way where I sort of like, it, it's messier and it sort of like pushes into like the unknown and to, to things that aren't fully in my control. But it's still an act of sort of controlling a narrative. Uh, and, 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 and in order to, like what I just said, like to take it, to put it somewhere else, so it sort of contains it in, in something else. What it does for other people, I don't really have much control over, uh, and nor do I think about it too much. Mm -hmm. Like I, I hope if I just sort of write it as well as I can, that someone else will have an experience like I have with reading other people's books. Like you, you just sort of suddenly are in another world, you sort of have a glimpse into what it is to be another person. Uh, and to have a consciousness so it makes maybe makes you feel less alone or makes you uh, uh, just see things in a slightly different way uh, uh, just to realize that you know your way of seeing the world is not the only way of seeing the world uh, or that you have a, a friend that sees it in the same way I mean all those things just what it's like to be someone else which seems to be important I think I think that's an important part of uh, being alive uh, and writing is just sort of for me it's just the only way I know how to do it um, uh, Really, I mean, I, I do some stuff with visual things too, but usually I, I work with artists, and mm -hmm. we have conversations around that too. Yeah. But it's maybe not what you sit down at the table with in your mind. That's sort of this to help other people. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. No. I don't. I don't see like I'm not writing uh, books to help other people. No. <laughs> uh, although you know, if people come up, if they do feel some something from it, I'm, I'm very moved by that. You know, and, and you know, people have said that, but. If that was my intention, I think it would, it would really um, uh, limit my yeah. writing. It, it put, right. you know, because it, it's there. There is that sense I have of like I think there's something good to, and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's good, but there's something valuable to uh, that whole idea of bewilderment of uh, where it comes from to to, to be wilder, uh, which is mm -hmm. like it's a verb like this old verb from like the 1400s that's like to lead someone into the woods and get them lost. Um, which is like a strange verb. There used to be a verb that that's what you know. That's what you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You would be wild or someone. Yeah. And like it just feels like that's sort of what I, I feel like the books do, in a way. Just because I, I think there's a benefit to being lost, to shaking up your whatever uh, uh, comfort you have or whatever you see. Just and not to be lost forever, 
but we lost um, the question in a little bit. I don't know what to say, but that's what I, I, I was now. thinking that that was a perfect rejoinder for what Nick was saying. <laughs> <laughs> that we need, you know, we need to go out and swing and not, you know, the whole thing about parenting and letting your kids roam as much as possible without, you know, getting abducted and without the whole getting re abducted. abducted. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the whole rewilding movement, the get it, go out and be in nature and, and stop, you know, we're relying on our devices and all that stuff. And that, that reading anything that requires, you know, some amount of investment or, or, or concentration actually is an act of that without, you know, that's, we can just do it in our heads. We don't even have to go out into the woods to do it. It's it's a way of doing it in our consciousness, right? Yeah, or or even not in our heads, but in our whole beings. Right, right. Just to make that distinction. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. I, I try to get out of my head as much as possible. Yeah. Looking at your sort of the, the movement of your work from the first book of poems to now, it seemed like a door opened and then then you were just like hugely prolific for those years after another bullshit night. What does that feel like to you? I guess one of the questions we ask a bunch is for people who are trying to break into this scene is when do you stop feeling like an imposter? and start feeling like you're in control of your, your sort of narratives and, and which way your work goes? I, I, yeah, I, I haven't quite reached that level yet. I, and I, I hope I never do. Um, I think it's always, a, every, every project is, uh, you, know, you have to approach it as something completely new that you have no idea how to do. If you fall back on things that have worked in the past, like it, it's just, it's just going to be like a tick, you know, you're going to develop some sort of a, it's just not going to be alive in the same way. So each, each, it just seems like uh, whatever you're approaching, whatever rises up from within inside you or from outside or, you know, whatever hooks on your subconscious that sort of compels you to start working on something, it, it just has to have its own form. It has to have its own uh, life. And uh, um, so it's always, it, it always uh, is, you know, continually new. Um, Phil, Phil Levine, I think, said that, that poetry was like the one job where every morning you woke up and everything that you know meant nothing. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you couldn't, if you did, if you just did, if you just wrote what you had already written, if you just said, oh, I know how to write a poem, like you, you never know how to write a poem. Uh, you know, that, and that's the beauty of it, really. That's like the, and I, and I think of the prose in the same way. I, I, I don't make much distinction between the prose and the poetry, except they pay me more for the prose. <laughs> So maybe that answers my next question, which was about um, Mo money. 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 <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be got, about money, but you, you, you got any money? <laughs> Can you send me some cash? Yeah. yeah. Uh, how much are you going to pay? How much will your family pay to release you? <laughs> Publish a book of poetry, so we're a little hard up at the moment. 
No, my question was, how do you know whether what you sit down to do is going to be a poem or something else? I, I, I don't know. Um, and usually the, uh, uh, all, all the books have like, um, uh, they're sort of night and day or brother and sister or, you know, male and female or something. So the, the poetry is one side of it and the prose is the other side. It's usually written simultaneously. I mean, simultaneously being like each one takes like, you know, five to six or to 10 years to work on. So I'm, I'm doing these projects simultaneously. So my mind is like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, of, I'm sort of wrestling with the same material in different ways. And, and sometimes it ends up as a poem, sometimes it ends up as prose. And sometimes I will take a poem and sort of, I'll, I'll usually take almost every poem that I have in the book, I'll take and sort of like try to write it as prose um, just to see what happens or take prose pieces and break them up into poems. Um, just because it releases this different energy when you do that. So, I mean, I, I just and I just go through that process. I'm not really sure. I'm trying to find what it wants to be, mm-hmm. um, what each what each uh, uh, passage wants to be. And sometimes yeah. there's there's lines of poetry in your prose, right, that have been published as poems. That I, you... I borrow freely from myself. And in, in the new new work I have, the, the two books I have, I have po- complete poems that are presented in one book and in the other. Like, but they look sometimes in the book they look like poetry, and the but the same words. So nice. Well, the good thing is that you know so few people are going to read anything that doesn't know the the ones that, that are actually going to notice that are like it's almost infinitesimal. So someone yeah, knows like wait a minute, this a, this poem was I just read this poem in this in this I book. My money yeah, wait, this this book has a poem in it that I already read that other book. Like you know that person's kind of I kind of love that person. You know, <laughs> like that they've read me that closely. No one has so far. So well, I guess you did. You noticed there were some lines. So yeah. 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 It says 1632, payable to... <laughs> yeah. There are poetry nerds. There are literary nerds, poetry nerds. Hence this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of poetry nerds, yeah. Um, do you want to read? Do you want to read some uh, poetry? I'll read a poem, sure. Do you want to read uh, one, one old and one new? Sure. One yeah. male and one female poem? Uh, or old, old and new? Or, okay, old no, and new. Yeah. <laughs> What would you like out of 47 minutes of epithalamian? Well, now that I know that you lied to your students about the sun's rays reaching us and that you have them I didn't uh, lie to them. You said I lied. I didn't say I lied. I didn't say I lied. (laughs) You said you claim it's nine minutes. I claim it's seven. (laughs) I did not say I lied. Liars never do. Liars never do. It's not true. (laughs) Either. Well, now I know no, that this, your class is actually. This is completely an unreliable podcast. <laughs> this podcast is filled with like half truths and specious claims. Hell yes! <laughs> Only all, that's all the good things are, you know. Um, oh, good. No, I, I mean I feel like you have to read forty-seven minutes because we okay. have a lot of teachers on this. We've had a lot of teachers on this podcast already, and I know a lot, a lot of our listeners are, and it's just. Sure. So satisfying. Well, it's also, it's also, it actually is my, my other Houston poem, actually. I realize that is a Houston poem oh, also. Yeah. Um, and also, and it's I th- a pro, and it's, and it's a paragraph. It's in prose. I thought, I thought you were going to call me on, since this, we had a discussion earlier about the Lauren Groff and then the other, the, the, the nemesis of Lauren Groff, uh, and about the periodic table, because I have a poem in this book, A Note in the Periodic Table, and I read it once yeah. at a, at a, con- at like a, a school that was mostly scientists, and I read this poem, and the first question was like, that poem is completely wrong. Oh. Like the periodic table, it starts with the periodic table names 212 elements. The guy's like, no, it doesn't. 
I'm like, it doesn't? Like, I don't know how... Like, I just came up with this thing. It's like, I guess, it, apparently, the parent table does not have 212 elements. Apparently. And I was like... But I was like... And I, I was like, I was on stage. I was on stage when he was like asking me that, and I, and I started making up elements to say like, no, what about like your uranium and valdanium? <laughs> like I, I came up with a bunch that he hadn't heard of. <laughs> but I was really like, I was like, oh, does it? Like, why did I think that? And how did it get through, like, editors? Like, editors read this, copy editors read this. Like, I've read this poem before, and I read it at a place where actually they knew the periodic element. I think it was behind me. I think the, it was a science room, and the whole periodic table was behind me. They said, no, look, it's only got, like, I don't even know how many, like, 206 well, or something. the problem is, as, you, as the poem says, like, new ones keep being added and other ones disappear. Thank so you, I thank you. I don't know going to disappear. Yeah, that's a, I have it in my novel, too. And I that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, the world's about to run out of gallium, hafnium, and indium. And zinc. But zinc that's will not awful. disappear until 2037. But that's in our children's lifetime, so. And hopefully yeah. ours, yeah. speaking of. I'm yeah. hoarding it. Nick's <laughs> hoarding zinc. And I, I actually have a whole trunk full of indium also. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you're luring food yeah, away from that's us. Like when, the, when, when, you know, when the apocalypse comes, I'm going to be the Indian guy. I'm going to barter Indian oh, for. The pounding you hear is Neil whiskey. deGrasse Tyson trying to break down the. Fucking poets. <laughs> but this one is true, though. This one's true. This poem is true. <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> this is. <laughs> I didn't realize podcasts were such shit shows. <laughs> Are they all like this? Are they, what? Because <laughs> like, I mean, there's no one really in charge, right? No. Like, nobody in charge. Okay, of this. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm like, taking control. I read that poem for The New Yorker like two weeks ago. Man, I had to go through security to get in. I had to like show IDs. I had to go through securities. I sat in a booth. That's right. You're probably not even I don't think I can possibly read this poem now. Um, okay, this is a poem. Uh, this is a poem uh, from uh, my book of poetry called My Feelings. It's called 47 Minutes. Uh, and it's uh, one that I've been teaching in Houston at the University of Houston every spring since 2004. And uh, this is the one poem I've written until this moment. Now I've written another one about Houston. 47 Minutes. Ask a high school class to locate an image in a poem we've just read. Their heads at this moment are bowed to the page. After some back and forth about the rain and styrofoam cup, a girl raises her hand and asks, does it matter? I smile. It's as if the universe was balanced on those three words and we've landed in the unanswerable and I have to admit that no, it doesn't not really matter if rain is an image or rain is an idea or rain is a sound in our heads. But to get through the next 47 minutes, we might have to pretend it does. That, yeah. I'm going to read that to my students from now on. Well, well, you could read, you know, the thing is, it comes from uh, another bullshit night in Sex City, too. That's from the, the, the styrofoam cup and stuff. The rain side comes from um, uh, The Piss of God, that chapter in Another Bullshit Night in Sex City. So you could put those two together. 
and have like a nice little, a nice little teaching moment, a nice little teaching moment for your kids. Yeah. Episode two of uh, season two is going to be Nick Flynn's uh, lesson plan. Lesson plan. So tune in and we'll, um, Mm -hmm. we'll make them all downloadable PDFs. Cause I was, cause I, yeah, I read that piece to them, piece of God and with that, with that poem. No, 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 I oh, didn't. No, no. no cause I hadn't written the poem. The poem, yeah. yeah. No, no, I, the poem, I didn't write the poem on the spot. Yeah. You can, I, did it on the, I did it on the blackboard as I was talking to them. I wrote, I asked a high school class, that's you. Look at an image of the poem. That's the poem we just read. And your heads at this moment are bowed to the page. Now you're all looking down. Keep your heads down. Oh my God, that's yeah. great. And now one of you has to raise your hands. You, you, girl. Say, okay. It has say, to be a girl. Yeah, does it matter? Say, does it matter? Say it. Say it. Does it matter? <laughs> does it matter? Yeah. No, I didn't do that. Um, should that I read a new one? That would be way more fun. You should try doing that. <laughs> try, try composing. I did, I did it. The other thing, I, I brought some, uh, I was going to give a talk the other day at a, 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 some school, a university, and uh, I I was going to show some images. So I'm putting a book together that has a lot of my collaborations in it. And, uh, uh, and it, I think it was the image. It was actually the image of a, the other Houston poem. Of a, a, There's an a artist in Houston called Wayne Gilbert. Have you heard of Wayne Gilbert? He, he paints using uh, cremains. He uses ashes. Oh. Like, oh, and wow. he goes to uh, um, uh, funeral homes. And there's just boxes of unclaimed cremains oh and he God. he gathers them and then makes paintings from them he's a houston artist he's a friend of mine wow. so uh so i had a poem that i'd written for a catalog of his and it, it, it uh but then i sort of i brought it in just to sort of i was going to show his work and then i was going to talk about how to write collaborative things and then when i i had this poem xerox and when i i, I passed it out to all there's a whole like 100 people or something these students and uh when i looked at it just before i was about to talk about it I was like, this poem sucks. Like, this poem is really bad. I'm like, and then I was like, help me, help me. yeah, help me. So I had them edit it. Like, I just had to like, what would you do? What is unnecessary in this poem? Like, what? Like, everyone just take a minute, and like, cross out a line that you think is unnecessary. And they, they were just brutal. And they like, the poem is better now. I hope. I mean, it couldn't oh, be. That's it, so cool. it couldn't have been worse. But that was like a that was a lesson too. There's a little lesson for you. You just have to write a really bad poem, and then bring it in and show it to everyone. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't know it was bad until I showed it to them. I assumed it was good. I was going to have to just read it and talk about how I did it for this thing. That's what I, as I was looking at it, I was like, this poem is really terrible. Like, <laughs> okay, well, now you have to read the other Houston poem. Is that the one? Oh, I could read his. Yeah, why don't I read his? Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, I'll read. Yes, yeah, since we are in Houston, the, in the podcast universe, we're everywhere, right? So you guys don't know we're in Houston, but we're actually in Houston, though. Yeah. Uh, Houston, Texas. Read a Boston offshoot. Okay, so this is uh, for Wayne Gilbert, this poem. Uh, it's called The Unclaimed. And this, this is from, um, I have a book coming out next year from Grey Wolf called I Will Destroy You. This is called The Unclaimed. In every city there's a room lined with boxes of the unclaimed, each the size of half a loaf of good bread. My friend collects these boxes which he then brings home and opens and pours into a bucket and mixes with a medium to make another painting. One box is smaller, only as big as a few sticks of butter, five days old typed out on the label. My friend does not even open this box. He cannot. It is heavier than you might imagine. He simply places it in the center of a large white canvas, like a bit of stardust. Hmm. Yeah. 
That's Houston. That's it. Yeah, that's Houston. To wrap up, we have one last round, and these questions were not, they were not in the study guide. Oh. These are speed dating questions for writers. Okay. It's all the stuff that's not in your author bio. Okay. And it just goes quick, so no extrapolating. <laughs> extrapolating? <laughs> Exaggerating? Just cut it short? It's yeah, like, keep it just short. Just quick answers? Okay. Yeah. I've, ne I've never sped date. <laughs> Nor have I. <laughs> but I'll try. Neither me <laughs> Okay. If I did a search and find in your Word docs, what fancy word would I find you use or overuse? Shit. <laughs> That's not fancy. That's, That's not I, fancy. What words do I use or overuse? No one's aware of that. No one's aware of the words they overuse until someone points it out. Do, do you know? Did you do that? Yeah, just. Just? Ever. Ever. Or just even. Is, just even. not like a fancy word. I guess it's not a fancy no. word, but I overuse it a lot. Oh, for yourself. Yeah. You're talking about for me. No. Oh. Oh. I would not call you out on that. Oh, uh, you might. Uh. <laughs> not on, not on the air. Well, well, we, all, we all have like a whole like constellation of images we keep returning to. There's certain things that sort of come back and like you know I'm I'm interested. Uh, the universe appears a lot. Uh, Donuts are in. I think every book there's a donut in every book I've written. Donuts and the universe. Yeah, donuts and the universe. Those yeah. are my two favorite yeah. answers now. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it's also really impossible for podcast guests to answer this question. Like any of these I just questions. Did. I just did one answer word. Oh. No one does it. Donuts. Right. <laughs> Cut it. Cut it like that. Cut. Just say donuts. Yeah. Just have me say donuts immediately. <laughs> Without any hesitation. <laughs> donuts. 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 Also not fancy, but... Donuts. Donuts can be fancy the ones with like maple and bacon on them. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it's fancy I mean, if I you're from Tennessee. I live in the city of donuts. It's like a, it's like our national, our 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 like not national. It's our food. Yeah. There's like a Dunkin' Donuts in every corner, but you're in Boston. Yeah, Boston is. Yeah. We're perpetuating the inability of our guests to not answer quickly. Or to answer quickly. That was pretty quick. Wasn't it quick? That was quick. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, Jess screwed it up. It seems like you're not asking the questions very quickly. <laughs> oh, Jess, it's your that turn, damn under it. under the bus. <laughs> By the way, anyway. Uh, oh, right, me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, only caffeine in my system. Okay, what's the title of the word, the word doc last open on your desktop or laptop? The title of the word doc what? <laughs> last opened. But last opened. Um, uh, what was, there was my book, I Will Destroy You. That's what it's yeah. titled? Does it say I Will Destroy You, yeah, final the... copy number 407? <laughs> no, it just says I Will Destroy You with a date, April 2018. Oh. I Will Destroy You, April two. I Will Destroy You on April 18th, 2018. <laughs> Dang. Today, <laughs> if you weren't a writer slash teacher, you'd be a. Uh, a writer slash teacher, I'd be a. Uh, a, a, a donut. 
Changed your life. The Country Between Us by Carolyn Forche. Book that's on your nightstand. Uh, the Recovering by Leslie Jameson. Your own writing Bible. M my own writing Bible? What's the. <laughs> your own writing. You know, Stephen oh, King's oh, own writing. Your, oh, yeah. your. Oh, oh, like an actual book that I like about yeah. this about writing? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. se several short sentences about writing by. <gasps> Verlin God, I love that. Love that. No one said that. I teach it. It's I so teach great. that book. It's, it's so, great. so amazing. I've never. I've only read like a couple pages of it, but I. I, I just. <laughs> I love it. All you need. Yeah. Well. I, well. I don't. I, I. just open up when I'm teaching a workshop. I just. Op I've read more than that because every time I teach a workshop, I just open to a page and read like a few passages. Well, that's what's so brilliant about it. Yeah, there are no yeah. chapters. It's just. Yeah. It's so Dip good. Dip in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite place to read. On an airplane. The writer you would most like to have dessert with, living or dead? Buster Keaton. Oh, good one. Best piece of writing advice you ever got? You have more light inside you than this. That was by Phil Levine. Wow. When he read one of my, another one of my Scottish poems. That's gutting. Yeah. Jess, we didn't answer the, we didn't ask the Shakespeare question. Oh, we didn't. And we didn't talk about beekeeping, which I really wanted to, but that's okay. Okay, um, if you want to, I got a minute, but it's up to you. <laughs> I did we promise do the Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare question. Yeah. Shakespeare yeah. One, yeah. Yes. Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, you told me not to say Hamlet. I told you not she to told, say Oh, right, sorry, sorry. I said, we're going to ask you a Shakespeare question. Whatever Hamlet. you do, don't say but what if, Hamlet. Hamlet? what if the answer is Hamlet? What if the answer is Hamlet? I guess that's... Okay. I mean, we'll just have to live with it. Just have to yeah. fucking live with it because this is fucking Shakespeare. <laughs> Each play is about a Dane who's... Wait, I can't say Hamlet? I can't say Hamlet? Jess, you want to ask the question? No, it's not even a question. It's just... I really like my um, my assessment of your like oeuvre so far. And of course, I don't have the newest book that I will destroy you, although I think it totally goes, is that I see it as a beehive. And I know that a little bit about, about beekeeping because I was married to a beekeeper. I mean, he wasn't like, that wasn't his job. Unfortunately, it should have been his job. But um, he was sort of a bee whisperer, like mm -hmm. when we would go to rob the hive, um, I had all the stuff on and the smoker and everything, and I still would get stung. And I'm actually allergic to these things, and um, and he would never get stung. Would, and, he, would uh, he wear the gear? No, he didn't even wear the gear. That's, and that's, I was wearing that's the impression his clothes, like that. Yeah. which were like big. On I, we did everything mm -hmm. right for me, mm -hmm. you know. And I mean, it was jealousy, of course, because um, I the was, bees were I, in love with your ex-husband. Totally. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really quite amazing. But anyway, I just, he told me a lot about it and about how to like find the right trees to like, you know, the ones that they really like to sort of, you know, hmm. swarm around. I think it's a cypress and how to like, you like cut off the branch to move it someplace. But anyway, it's just, I love, love, love. We didn't talk about Blind Huber and um, it was, 
really, I mean, I think it's a great book, even if you don't know anything about beekeeping or bees um, or think the whole enterprise is really magical. But yeah, it just, it's the fact that they create something that's pretty much just their bodies around air with a little bit of like, you know, wax and sticky stuff to like mm -hmm. somehow keep it together. Um, and it's, it, it, anyway, so I, I think of all of your books together as, as this hive that's, um, and of course, like all poetry and all life and certainly love and all that, it's, it's the same thing. And then I was thinking the reenactments, that's the beekeeper with the smoker. Huh, nice, nice. I, I mean, I like that. No, I like, I'm, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think more and more like the hive thing, the hive mind thing, just it's sort of this more like this, this a collective uh, consciousness. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it seems more and more like uh, to line up with my reality. Like in the beginning, it was much more internal, like me, uh, you know, creating things, it seemed like. And now it feels much less like that. It feels more like, uh, it seems even more like a hive. So. Mm -hmm. uh, that I'm just sort of one piece of like sort of a larger mystery. So, well, Nick Flynn, thank you so much for being on the show today. We was, really appreciate having you. Yeah, it was it was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it was really great. It was really great. Thank you, thank you, Kate. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, you can edit that really weird part out. <laughs> oh no, if I know who that is. It's really. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you by the letters F, U, C, and nope. Just kidding. It's brought to you on the backs of the harried, unpaid, and not quite starving artists that make up Bloomsday Literary. Discover books that matter. Also, the good people at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. Follow us on the Twitter and the Insta at Bloomsday Lit. Show us some love on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Please. And by Audible. Stop being a dick in traffic. I'm looking at you, Houston. Listen to us, effing Shakespeare, and then when you're done with us, listen to an audiobook from Audible. A title we recommend is Eddie Izzard's new book, Believe Me, a memoir of love, death, and jazz chickens. Effing Shakespeare listeners get a free title with a new trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com slash Shakespeare and get started today. You are the bread and the knife, the crystal goblet and the wine. You are the dew on the morning grass and the burning wheel of the sun. You are the white apron of the baker and the marsh birds suddenly in flight. However, you are not the wind in the orchard, the plums or on the counter, or the house of cards. And you are certainly not the pine-scented air. There is just no way you are the pine-scented air. It is possible that you are the fish under the bridge, maybe even the pigeon on the general's head. But you are not even close to being the field of cornflowers at dusk. And a quick look in the mirror will show that you are neither the boots in the corner nor the boat asleep in the boathouse. It might interest you to know, speaking of the plentiful imagery of the world, that I am the sound of the rain on the roof. I also happen to be the shooting star, the evening paper blowing down an alley, 
and the basket of chestnuts on the kitchen table. I am also the moon in the trees and the blind woman's teacup. But don't worry, I am not the bread and the knife. You are still the bread and the knife. You will always be the bread and the knife, not to mention the crystal goblet and somehow the wine.